It's Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs. Let's start the show with Lewis Tennant. Here we go. Guests and interviews that you're looking for with creators, innovators, and so much more. For all episodes and further info, verbalhighs.com is the place to go. All right, welcome to Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs, a podcast podcasted weekly from a kitchen bench in Kingston, Auckland, New Zealand. My name is Lewis, and I'm the host of the show, and I chat to people, um, and then I post those conversations up once a week, and then people listen. They're called podcasts, and they're great. Uh, my guest this week is Rob Warner. He has had a success in the past week with a project that he has been tirelessly and often solitarily involved is that a word solitarily solely involved with uh, over the past four years um decided to become involved with the collaborative process that was um an open discussion in a court of law about uh what auckland's liquor trading laws uh, to be going forward into the future. Why would a man who doesn't sell finest spirits or own a venue or perhaps work for the police, why would a man uh, want to get involved with such things? Well, a number of reasons as unfold on the podcast, but principally the way I saw it is uh, it's someone who discovered a love of electronic music um, in the early 90s then subsequently discovered a love of the kind of ethos and vibe of the environments where such music is played. Such music and environments happen to often occur uh, into the wee small hours. And Rob, like a lot of us, saw press coverage of absolutely and admittedly and 100% horrible events like what the press have dubbed king hitting in places like Auckland and uh, Sydney and other cities around the world and um, there has been a push for the actions of a few to affect the many in terms of what I will call very draconian um, laws, early closures and so on. So Rob's argument was, or actually he's a He's a PR man, he's a public relations practitioner, his, effectively his PR campaign was to explain um, to those who were perhaps unaware but held the keys to power and decision making um, what that culture is, um, down to even, I read a bit of the PDF, what uh, what DJ culture is, what dance culture is, um, and argue that if occurring in venues with correct door policies and so on, um, the crowd... Uh, Generally, there's no absolutes for everything, of course, um, are generally drawn to the music and the event before the um, rapid and uh, uh, ferocious consumption of liquor. Um, So whether or not you think that's even an issue, there's obviously wider issues of... um, uh, what we want our cities to entail, both for ourselves and for guests. Um, one I think is hugely important, uh, what uh, or how or, 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 or what, how, when, where, why, <laughs> uh, or uh, whether, well, that's a good word, whether um, 
we should sit back and allow the knowledge and decision-making powers of, of a few um, dictate the many. You've got to remember, I think, uh, well, you don't remember, you haven't heard it yet, for about a couple to three hours a night, five nights a week for, 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 for three or four years, as Rob talks about, um, he schooled himself in order that when he schooled others, in this case that's just run, um, he'd be able to stand on his own two feet at all time, be able to quote peer-reviewed studied experts and so on and so forth. Um, so he got in there and actually did something. I thought about this too today just to cap off uh, my kind of key feelings about this, and I'm guilty of this as well, say climate change, and I re- read a really well-argued article, and then I throw it up on Facebook, and I don't really do a lot of other stuff, even though I'm trying. Um, this is a really a good example, I think, of, of the fact that we being individuals or smaller pockets of people or people from subcultures and so on, wherever you are, um, can affect change. You can get involved in the decision-making process. I'll let Rob and the pod, Rob and the pod, speak for itself. Uh, He's an interesting man. My guests often are. That's the idea. We also talk a bit of nerdy, boffinry, musicy DJ stuff. We talk some media analysis. Rob was one of the first people to be a postgrad student in the degree or program rather that I, or in the school that I now teach in communications. Um, my headphones have gone on the bung, folks. Don't ask. I haven't asked a lot on this podcast, but if anyone wants to, I think a podcast would be a great place to to, uh, endorse a pair of lovely cans. Does anyone know any headphone distributors? I'd love a pair. Verbalhighs at (laughs) gmail.com. If you don't ask, you don't receive, eh? Okay. Um, like the show, oh great, uh, great feedback and lots of listens for Greg Churchill's sh- uh, episode, episode last week. This is maybe the natural progression to another um, long-standing uh, member of Auckland's uh, DJ and dance community. Like the show, Verbal Highs podcast on Facebook, Verbal Highs Twitter. New faces popping up every week. Hello to you all. Um, I have a website, verbalhighs.com, but you probably click through to that if you found this on the social media. And also, let's get up to 10 uh, ratings on iTunes. I've got eight thus far, and thank you to you eight, whoever you are. I'm sure there was something else I meant to uh, to, to drop on you all before we, before, we chat to, um, before we chat to Rob. No, perhaps... That's it, that's it. Okay, all the best. All the best. All the best. This is Dr. Tannen's Verbal Highs. Um, this podcast might be a bit a bit of comedy because the landlord um, is working on building next door. Oh. And this is the first time that he and I have clashed, so I texted him, I said, oh, can you please not use the uh, power tools? And he texted back and said, I need to use them, and so I might even use the big saw. <laughs> oh, okay. So, um... Yeah, we'll wait to see how we go. See if we get drowned out. Fair enough. By machinery. Yeah. Oh, you sound fine. I might just leave these on, actually, if you don't mind. Yeah, cool. As long as you can do your do. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, yeah, it's a really interesting. Actually, um, um, I, I did actually quick look, look last night through the um, the list, and, and I had actually listened to um, Andy Pickering's one and Dave, Dave, um, Dave oh, Roper's right. ones. Because uh, Andy Pickering's one interested me because he posted it about the... Um, the uh, you know the um, joining the cult, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and I've known Dave for uh, you know twenty five years. Which Dave? Dave Roper. Dave Roper. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was a good. And of course, Greg, Greg and I DJ together at the box. Did in the you 90s. did you go to his um, Oro? 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Enjoy it? It was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. I I think that he, um, as is often the case with your first one, I think he may have have taken a bit of a hit on it. Yeah. But I would assume that there's a long-term plan there. It's like any any business, isn't it? You kind of... But it's just good to see him back doing stuff. For Dave, totally, totally. He sort of disappeared, you know. He and I chat chat fairly often on Facebook. So so do he and I, yeah. um, And then, you know, also um, licensing stuff. We chatted about a fair bit in the lead-up. for, for oh. that. Even though I'm not a, an advisor on licenses, he knew that I knew people at the council and could. Um, yeah, you uh, must have yeah. um, opened a few doors with that with this 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 uh, I guess yeah. crusade we're going to talk about, right? Yeah. Have you learnt a lot along the way? Oh man, this is is this recording? Yeah, we started. Um, well, <laughs> well, the, the thing is, is that I've had a lot of people in the last few days message me congratulating me on winning this court case, and yeah. um, and, and I've been kind of quick to say to people, um, you know, I, I can't really take credit for something that I didn't do. Yeah. Um, I was a small part of the appeals case, helping yeah. the council defend their policy. Yeah. Um, and, and when I say small part, very small part, and I was advocating on behalf of people who enjoy electronic music, yeah. not venues, not businesses. Yeah, you know, the, yeah like, I guess it's like, very yeah. clear that you're not there with some sort of, you're not like a, a lobbyist for commercial exactly. commercial interests. But I, I got called lobbyists by various people. And yeah. I got, I'm sure you got called a few things you know along I mean? the way. And um, Nikki K asked me which which bar group was paying me at one stage when yeah. I chatted to her. And, you know, and, um, but the, the area where I think was most important was actually the schooling up about you know, um, between three and four and three and five years ago, yeah, and then in the last three years, getting involved in the actual, you know, helping getting involved in the policy development, yeah, and even that was more a case of how do you build meaningful relationships within the council with either councillors, people on the hearings committee, yeah, or some of the actual policy people sitting down with them and saying, you know. Uh, you know, can you please consider us? Because yeah. there are all these little side effects that happen when you think all oh, closing earlier will address alcohol harm, or introducing a, a lockout or a one-way door yeah. will somehow make things safer. Um, so I spent, a, you know, so I think my influence is more in there to help encourage the council to just say, hey, look, just be mindful of us, yeah, because we're not really contributing to the harm, at least not proportionally, yeah, um, and. That means that the the council's provisional policy ended up being steered yeah. in that direction, and and so it's easy to defend something that it is to appeal something. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. then and so then so so the hard work was done then. So and we'll, that was a long process. We'll yeah. explain exactly um, what what you've been up to in terms of what we're talking about, because some people would be like, "What are they talking about?" Yeah, t- totally. <laughs> but totally. firstly, I'll introduce you. Uh, this is Rob Warner, um, DJ. What else would you describe you as? See yourself as a, a campaigner now, as of well, the last few years? Yeah, well, um, and I work in. Um, I work for a small public relations company yep. and I'm really interested in communication theory and mass communication and um, the psychology of it and then also politics. Um, yeah. You know, not, I'm not involved in politics, no. but especially looking at European yeah. and American politics afar. Did your PR yeah. skills come in handy for this um, for this journey? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My, you know, it was the first time I'd be able to really mesh my, my background in PR yeah. and communication and um, my DJing, the passion for electronic music, yeah. into one thing, yeah. and, and be proud of a project. You know, so you formed this um, organisation called um, Dance Till Dawn. I think yeah. it was called. Yeah. How many years ago was that? Five years ago? About four years ago. Yeah. Um, well, it's pro- probably five years ago. I actually started talking to David Roper. Yeah. And when he was up in Auckland, we had a chat about where it was going and what was what we were seeing in the in the newspaper. The police were proposing closing yeah. times, and then Greg and I started chatting. Greg Churchill. Yeah. And so this organisation, for those who don't know, I've got a number of offshore listeners now. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, many expats. Is that um, in line with places like 
probably most famously for us, Sydney. Um, certainly the news about fabric in London there for a while, London in general, um, other cities you might school me about. Yeah. Um, we went from 24-hour licences being available to there being 4am licences across the board. And then they were they were proposing even more kind of draconian um, hours. Is that, is that, is that, yeah? that, that's a good summary. And, and, I'm, and generally, when I'm, when I'm talking about stuff, I'm talking about central Auckland. Yeah. Because the outlying parts. And so what were they proposing, aside from the, the 4am, which is already in place, that, that you decided to kind of um, do something? The police, well, the police uh, originally were aiming for sort of 1am to 2am closing, blanket, yep. nothing after that. Wow. And then when they they chose that because of, you know whatever their reasons um, they have lots of reasons some of them make sense some of them are kind of Donald Trump logic yeah. um, and then the then when they realised that probably was never going to happen they they kind of changed it more to about two p.m. to three a.m. but yeah. with a one a.m. lockout yeah which so, which, so, was, so, which was trialed in Melbourne I w- think which was trialed in Melbourne over over a, a one or one month or two month period four years in a row or three years in a row yeah um, you know which was reported on quite widely in an Ernst and Young report yeah. But um, you know, and, and you know, they there were a lot of downsides to it. But then the advocates of lockouts said, "Yeah, but you only trialed it for such a short amount of time, and there were so many details that render the study useless." You know, you can always so the, so the, can always so, the find. so the advocates are, and in, in, in the Auckland, let's just stick with the Auckland scenario. You've said first and foremost the police, yeah, and healthcare, um, and healthcare, and then then lobbying groups like um, Alcohol Health Watch, and so you, and you know, then, they're all they're all worthwhile organisations in terms of what. They're trying to. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Oh, in terms absolutely. of what they're, what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um. And God, you know, I can't imagine being um a police officer. You know, sectioned onto that to that roster at that time of the day, and so on and so forth. But I think what you proposed was that basically along the lines of don't tar all of us with the same brush. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and, and, and I, I made um you know. And so I, how do you set about doing that? So what? what and so what I mean, what, what we're meaning there is, um, you were suggesting that. If if a, if a venue's run correctly and it's got the right door policy and it's not focused on alcohol, that people can be safe all times of the day and night. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And my experiences over over you know twenty five years of DJing, yeah, um, and you know, and of Greggs and of Dave Ropers and, and everyone else we spoke to, were that they always felt a lot safer in electronic music focused venues or events than they did at random house parties or at um, rock gigs or yeah. you know things. And and, and it's, it's not to malign you know different kinds of music but some some venues some types of music and some types of events have a very you know greater focus on just getting smashed yeah and um and i'm not saying that people don't go out of their way to get drunk in electronic music venues but it's less for a start yeah and when people do it seems like there's a more friendly atmosphere uh, there's more people looking out for their brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it seemed to me that that was a better option than what we see with the rise in house parties. Yeah. Um, and so agreed and agreed. But then I was thinking today, um, there's also an argument that the sort of crowd that a lot of um, electronic music gigs are, are, are attracting now is kind of um, a bit more of that boozy kind of. A mainstream element, you know, perhaps, um, perhaps uh, inspired by, um, you know, similar large gigs in the US and so on. So, how do you, you know, you get into this really difficult area of like, 
how do you define a, a good crowd and a bad crowd? Did you face face any of that? Like absolutely. You know, how 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 do we how how do we measure this? It's very it's very it's very hard abstract. To it's very hard to measure, and it's very. And difficult. do you agree that there is a you know there's there's a sort of a different movement now as well? Oh, I I, I definitely agree, and um you know I I made sure that I always talked about it in terms of electronic music culture. Yeah, and. That was so that I could say, you know, people who are genuine, genuinely in this for music reasons will tend to be more um, uh, music focused. Yeah. And they're not there to get smashed and, and harass girls or, or whatever, whatever happens at the events. But I totally accept that. Yeah. There are varying levels of that. It's and, very and, hard and, and, to quantize whatever when, the word is, quantify. When you yeah. get a large event, say, for example, like a big day out back in the day or more currently um, something like um, Auckland City Limits. Yeah. Um, you get the people who are really into the music and then the people who are like, I want to go because there's a massive gig on. They get yeah. dragged by their mates. And nights, anyone who worked in nightclubs in town will tell you, on the nights that those kind of events happened, yeah. afterwards when town got flooded with lots of people who ordinarily didn't go to town, yeah. the issues were much greater. Yeah. Much greater than... And so you know, it, it gave you that opportunity to point it out, which I did to the council and to the police, um, that, that these large events and... Um, which aren't to do with the electronic music venues, are the ones that flood town yeah. with people who are, you know, they've drunk a lot more. Yeah. They don't go out as often. Yeah. They are randomly looking for venues, so it's not a destination kind yeah. of motivation. Yeah. And they, those people tend to, you know, run into people of different, you know, creeds and walks of life and whatever. And, um, and that's when you start having problems with lots of people on the street who have had a few drinks. Um, yeah. Which is why you have so much problem outside hot spots like at closing time like the mcdonald's and so the what do you Kings do what do the- you do with because what you know again pre- you're preaching to the choir explaining this to me yeah but then in terms of yeah what to, now this has been established as the four am is going to stay um that problem still remains surely so what do yes. they do how, yeah what do they do to stop that kind of madness <laughs> well i mean i i, I saw it's the not your I, yeah. I i saw that my involvement in the alcohol policy to stand up for something that I believed in. And I had quite a few people who helped me with it along the way in varying amounts. Yeah. And, um, but I did it from the, from the logic that people who are not causing the problem should not should be not the be, primary yeah, losers yeah. in policy change aiming to achieve yeah, something. Yeah. And, that, and, and, and from that logic alone, yeah. I don't have to account for the other people. Yeah, that's right. I don't have to account for the other people, and we don't have to account for the other people. But because there's always a small crossover of 10% or 15%, you know, and the types of people who go yeah. to different bars. I've got a Venn diagram is, in my head here. It is responsible for, um, it would be responsible for the, the music scene in general and the electronic music scene to build longer term relationships with the council and the police and hospitality association and say, yeah. how can we bring in initiatives that show people that it's not okay to get plastered in a car park, walk into a bar, act like act, act the goat, yeah. go back out and have a few more drinks in the car park. And, you know, your point about the police um, having to deal with the stuff is totally on point. They yeah. have to deal with the worst of the worst. Yeah. But, again, I we shouldn't have to account for the massive decline in per capita policing in central Auckland totally. as the population has increased and their yeah. resourcing has declined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 that that has become a a justification for their seemingly a justification for their policy direction because that that they, they, they're clutching at straws. They're yeah, losing I good staff. They're losing good yeah. staff. And, it's and, not you, us. It's this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, so that's actually an argument yeah. for. Properly resourcing the police. Yeah, you're making me think so many things here. Just this art yeah. of um, 
um, not collaboration. I can't think of the word, but you're dealing with so many different stakeholders. You yeah. kind of like you've got you've got to, you've got to sort of uh, look at it from all perspectives. But I think really, when I was looking at, by the way, uh, Rob's the first person that sent me a PDF before a podcast. Thank you. I'd look through. <laughs> I did, I've got to say, I skimmed it. Yeah. But what you were really doing, it comes back to what you were saying before, is don't you know don't um, effectively punish the innocent with these blanket policies as you were just you launched an awareness policy I had to laugh I'm not don't literally laugh but you know you, what you had to do was like this is what a DJ is in the DJ sense this yeah. is what electronic music is this is you know it's a very you know and I've always known this but it really drove home to me just how basic you've got to spell things out because a number of these people would just have no Absolutely. no cultural reference would they yeah and, and, and getting involved, and, and the thing I sent you was actually my written evidence for the court case, yeah. for, for the for the um, commission of inquiry. And the tricky thing is, is that you you explain it to an extent, yeah. but if you explain it too much, you run the risk of the the authority, the judge, and the two authority members going, "Do you think we're stupid?" So, <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, so, yeah. so there's kind of a fine line, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. and you know, so I tried to, I, I would, all, I, I, I'm a, I'm a night owl, so I do all my writing at night, yeah. and all my editing and sending in the daytime, yeah. So I do it at night, and you know, at night time you, you start typing stuff, and you've written seventeen paragraphs, and you and your mind's racing, and you you like criticizing people and stuff. And the next morning you come yeah, back, you got to sleep on. I just it. get yeah. I just get the red highlighter <laughs> out in the in the computer, and just highlight all the stuff that I've got to remove. We'll say it without being critical. And so what you know, what happened? What what was the court case? What was effectively you know st- counsel versus what was it? The the evidence, the first main bit of evidence got put in in November. Yeah. Then the hearing took place kind of February March up to a little bit of April even. So it, so it was two weeks, then a week off, then two weeks. and then So it was the longest um, alcohol regulatory licensing so inquiry alcohol, ever. Right, yeah. Ever, it's the longest one. So there's, I think it was just over four weeks of hearing dates. Um, a lot of it was dominated by supermarkets as, yeah. as, as you know, they have the resources to keep people on the stand for days and days on. Yeah, um, and that, then, that was um, going to be my next question. So, so, so the, the respondent was the council. Yeah. The appellants were the police. Yeah. Foodstuffs, progressive enterprises, Medical Officer of Health, and then a few other smaller groups like Alcohol Health Watch, um, Takapuna Residents Association, um, a couple of small, uh, I think a brothel group, Redwood Corporation, who have the Pelican Club or so something. So what did the, so it, well, everyone's <coughs> trying to get their own clauses or it, something. Why would the Pelican well, Club the, and, and Takapuna Residents... Because the, the you know, Takapuna Residents Association yeah. was saying, in Takapuna, we don't want 3AM licensing. Yeah. And we have, and because generally there's 1AM licensing, but once a month a bar there gets a 3am extension, you know, extension to 3am. And they said those nights in their eyes are particularly bad. Therefore, allowing that part of Auckland to have 3am closing all the time would just exacerbate the issues. And I I don't know enough about their case specifically because it's always a mixture of anecdotes and stats. And then stats in themselves get broken down into very conveniently cherry-picked stats. And then broader stats and then long-term stats and then snapshot (laughs) stats, you know. So... um, It's very hard, but um, so all these different groups had different ideas. Supermarkets. So every, everyone's effectively coming at this 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 overall scenario that has to be considered by a judge and staking their claim. I want this. I want it to be longer. I want it to be shorter. I Correct. want it to be da da da. So exactly the Pelican right. Club would be like, I want some John to be able to have a beer at eight thirty after well, these. I, I think their, <laughs> their their one was more about because they're just outside the city fringe, oh, and they're okay. saying it's unfair that we're just outside it, yeah. and we're going to have less time than someone who's two hundred meters away inside oh, the fringe. Goodness. And so, so why can't you right. move the boundary out, or right. or why can't we have the same as them? Because yeah. the, the, for them, it's a it's a competitive marketplace disadvantage. 
And so what have we ended up with, 4am in the city, and what is it, the rest of Auckland? Um, the rest of Auckland will have a maximum time of 3am. So that's around here. And, and, and that's for bars, yeah. that's for yeah. bars. Um, yeah. um, now, that's maximum. That doesn't mean you can get it. If an area typically generally had one currently, like, say, if you're in, say, Pamir or, yeah. or um, St. Luke's or somewhere, it had 1am. It doesn't mean that all those bars suddenly have 3 a.m. It yeah. means there is the ability to apply when you get a license. That's right. And then, they, and, they, and then they consider what's occurred in and around your venue over that period of time. Absolutely. And, and, also, the, and also society, um, you know, within a couple of kilometres, um, how many other venues there are, what, where, where there are schools or churches or what they call, sens- they call them sensitive sites nearby. Right. And so how many, um, how many uh, days were you in court of the whole case? Um, I was probably there for about half of the case. So you're taking time off work to... Yeah, all the time, yeah. Right. So I've taken... You've got your own business, so you're actually taking time off to... Yeah. And so your work supported you in doing that? Yeah, they support... I didn't get paid. You didn't get paid, Um, okay. Okay, put put, put it this way. I've taken a lot of time off work, but, you know, I mean, but it's the time off work was for the hearing was the the least of it. It's It's the two years of two to three hours of reading five nights a week. Yeah. For, for three years. Yes. So I've read a couple of hundred um, academic studies. Yes, yeah, um, academic I've written studies. letters. I've called um, alcohol harm experts and criminologists. I've called them academics. I've found them all over the world, and I've called wow. them, had long chats to them, um, you know, letters to the council, um, you know, trying to get organisations like APRA involved. Yeah. Um, you know, because in Australia, APRA was heavily involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in, in the Sydney Keeps It yeah, Open stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, As it should be. It's yes. kind of arts and culture. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? So, um, I mean, the hearing time, yeah, I mean, for me, it was time off work. But, you know, you get to sit there and, and, and it's in and a, and a perverse kind of side issue thing. It's one of those rare, rare situations in life that a layperson can have their Denny Crane moment. What do you mean there? Well, you can... It's like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a barrister. No. I can actually be involved in a court case. Yeah. I can stand up and ask questions. And so how long were you on the stand or how long did you get to present? Um, oh, okay, well, I'm, I, I'm a party to the case. Yeah. So in a very, very weird thing, I was a party to the case, what's called an interested party. You yeah. apply to... So I'm not an appellant or respondent. I'm a party which is supporting the respondent. Yeah. But... As 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 Rob Warner, I'm also a, an evidence giver. Yeah. So I'm both, and you can't cross examine yourself. Yeah. So in that instance, you I, I asked the authority whether I could um, read out a summary statement instead, and then and, and then invite people to cross examine me if they wish to. So um. And so all that study and research and talking to leading academics paid off when you were cross examined. Well, yeah, well, the interesting thing is um, um, the parties who were going to cross-examine me Chris, chatted to me. Before I go, did, did, you, did you feel like at some point, you know, dance till dawn, some people were like, who's this flaky hippie, you know? To some people it's like, what? No, 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 <laughs> n- not, not at all. Very early on in the, um, in the piece, once the policy started getting bounced around, I realised that that suited me perfectly. What? So um, for people to to under, underestimate yeah. the amount of effort we had put in or the kind of questions I could answer. Or... So people did underestimate you. That's really interesting. Well, I, I don't know if they they did, but a, yeah. a, a couple of times they did. I think the police may have once or twice, um, a few of the other groups, but they're not in a major way. But, you know, just well, maybe, uh, you know, in, in terms of explaining how things work. And yeah. I'm like, and when you go, oh, look, just assume I've read those studies because I have. Yeah. And it's obvious you haven't. Yeah. You know, and, and then, you know, been... You, you don't want to. You're trying to attract people to your position. Yeah. 
you can't force people to agree with you. Yeah. So I tried to take the approach that let's kind of attract people to your position, build bridges. You know, I contacted the police multiple times in Wellington to speak to senior strategy people. Generally, they weren't interested in listening or even talking. So they weren't cooperative now? Uh, no, no, but, but on, the, on the odd occasion they were. Yeah. And then a few times when I chatted to them, it was quickly apparent they were just trying to suss what I was about out. You know, yeah, um, and yeah. then um, and then I did that with other people, and I found it quite productive. And I would always chat to these guys when I saw them. And I still um, get it. Yeah, like you, a few times you sort of alluded to that as like you, like money's the big thing that drives our society these yeah. days, right? And so you, if to a few people, that would have been a head scratcher. It's like what's motive? What's motivating this? This guy, yeah, well, I because mean, there's no dollar bill, there's no, there's yeah, no, exactly. you know, and there's nothing. Not actually, I mean, the thing is because I'm, I'm not in the twilight of my DJing career, but I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. I don't do a lot of late gigs. No, but, neither. But, and I don't even go out to a forum that often. No, neither. You know, but, but I do not want to have that right taken away from no. me or for all the well, young guys. It's always a libertarian thing yeah. as well, whether it's music exactly. or whatever, you know. Yeah. And there's also the um, I always, you know, the one that I always bring up because it's um, it's totally hypocritical is the fact that pretty much all these cities we're talking about you can still go and lose every dime you've got in a casino 24-7, yeah. 365. M- more than know? a few times I bought the casino up in the discussions with the council. Were they the police, there? They're the such police. a powerful the, the, organization. The casino were, but they yeah. were just supporting the council effectively. Yeah. But, you know, and, and I'd said, you know, the casino is effectively the least ethical legal business yeah. in, in existence. Yeah. Um, and... The casino has a, has a blanket exemption from any changes to alcohol Amazing. changes laws. That's, that's powerful lobbying, yeah, ex- right? Exactly. And people, yeah. and you know, I had so many people just post stuff on the Dance of Dawn, you know, um, page saying, you know, oh, bloody national and blah blah blah. And you know, I'd keep pointing out to people, it was Helen Clark in two thousand and three did it. It wasn't wasn't John Key. It wasn't Helen Clark gave them this exemption. That's amazing. You know? I guess. I well, guess. Sorry, I Helen don't. Clark, I, I, mean, I, I, I wasn't around yeah. in New Zealand then, but I mean, I would have to guess it must have been like. The amount of money that was going to be generated must have just been too much of a lure. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think it was, it was more of a difficulty thing as well because ca- casinos, it says, I'm paraphrasing, it says that while the gaming room is legally allowed to be open, yeah. they can sell alcohol. Yeah. So, and it was because the, it was kind of like it's going to be so hard to shut the bar areas in such a massive room that you can get 2,000 people in. Yeah. But, but, then, but then people always, they under, always undermine their own arguments by saying, we need it for the tourists and stuff. I'm like, do the tourists really need to be drinking? Well, you know the other, you know, the, you know, they can go to a hotel. You room. know the other great unsaid. Of course, the casinos want liquor available all the time because um, keeps it, people there. Well, it also it it it, 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 it makes people who are up um, money wise um, suddenly absolutely lose everything. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and they're all they're all the other. Um, Hypocrisies of it too. That you know, people say, "Oh, yeah, we want Auckland to be the city for tourists who come here on the on the passenger ships and stuff like that, and blah blah." And you're like, "You can get um, alcohol in the hotel room any twenty four seven. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, in the casino twenty four seven as long as they're open. Yeah, and then they turn around and say, "Oh, nightclubs are going to attract criminals." And you're yeah. like, mm, "Yeah, I don't think whereas so." Casino, whereas casinos are sort of almost organised crime in a way. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and people have made that argument many times before. I mean, I, yeah. I, I try as much as I can to never give them a cent of my money. Yeah. But I, I do have some friends who are, who are prolific gamblers. I wouldn't call them degenerates because they usually win. Yeah. Um, but um, but I, I go up and watch them sometimes, and, I, and it just amazes me how many people are in, in the casino. You know, you go in there on a Friday night, and you're like, 
there's like a thousand people in there and you, you could walk along and count every tenth person looks like they've been there too long yeah is possibly intoxicated yeah, or borderline host, it's amazing host, it's, it's, it's horrible host, host responsibility is a total myth um, yeah. in those places yeah totally um so still talking about the dollar dollar um how, how did you how did you fund all of this did you have to did you have to seek lawyers did were you paying huge money for people to help your case or um no um did you do virtu- a fund me or a pledge me or anything no i, I didn't um and early on i with another dj tom mcginnis who yeah. now lives in london um who promotes the anno domini gigs at the art gallery and like really really cool gigs um yeah he he was the, one of, he was the young guy i got involved Theo, you know yeah um, so um, he and I talked about you know going and asking people for money or doing fundraising, and it looked like doing it on a small scale by asking DJs to give money, for example, yeah. was going to be tricky, you know, yeah. because you, you line yourself up to get most $100. of them are skint anyway. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> and then and then going to bars, yeah. then you get immediately get accused of being oh you're in their pocket. Whose pocket? The bar's pocket. You were just right. advocating yeah, on behalf yeah, of bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, I basically said I will not take money from bars. Yeah. I will not take money from any alcohol companies. Yeah. And then eventually you, you, you work out that it's like, oh, this is out of my pocket. So we did get, you know, when I needed to print off um, our submissions to the council, a friend of mine just printed them all off in his office, you know, 30 yeah. copies, 40 pages each, you know, in, in colour bound, you know. So stuff like that we got. Yeah. Everything else was um, out of pocket. Everything. Yeah. So wow. you know, I, I at some stages I sold parts of my record collection. Wow, um, you really? Know, but, but, but stuff that I can live without, yeah, or I've yeah, got double ups yeah. of. Um, yeah. um, so you really, you it, really, really, the passion, man, it's, it's, it's yeah. amazing. So it's uh, what a ride. So um, look, I'm really glad that it <laughs> yeah. would have been terrible yeah, if it yeah. if it had gone a different yeah. direction for you. And just can I, if I can just go back, so whatever you want. A, a point you made earlier about why did I do it? Um, yeah. one, one of the big things was Greg and I had chatted early on, saying that we really, really, really relished being able to go clubbing when we were young and 20. Yeah. And when the consultation um, um, path was laid out, yeah. and they say it's a public consultation, anyone can get involved. When they say anyone, they mean anyone capable. Yeah. And people who have got money or business skills or life skills have much, much better um, opportunity to get involved than yeah. a 20-year-old who yeah. might not have as much. So Greg and I, we were originally kind of motivated along those grounds. It's like, you yeah. know, protect this really, really cool thing for young people who want to get into yeah. the scene. And, yeah. you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people who are DJs... How old are you now, Rob, can I ask? 43. Okay. Probably, I don't know. I always say I'm older than I look, but, yeah. but now I do probably look 43. Um, but, um, you know, so, 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 so it was kind of, a, kind of like, a, hey, let's protect something that, that did so well for us. Yeah. And, and, and I, th- I think that that's a big part of it. And when you're saying about where you got the money to do this project... You go well, you know. Why didn't we rope in lots of the young guys? But the thing is, it's quite hard to herd sheep. And yeah. like everyone we spoke to, you know, or I spoke to, were, were keen, enthusiastic people. Always like, well, help you, whatever you want. But whenever you asked, you hardly got a reply, yeah. or you did, or you, or you <laughs> yeah. did two weeks later, yeah. or I needed in such short notice yeah. that it would be a Facebook chat at two a.m. Yeah. Um. So you know. Um. So so I got used to just going. I'll ask for help, and and I'll just do as much of it as I and can. And then I'll just go ahead and do it myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, some people were a lot, a lot of help with just yeah. you know. I mean, I did, I did have the opportunity to speak to a couple of lawyers and just say, look, I just want to do this. Is yeah. there any downsides yeah. to this or upsides? Um, can always, there's many lawyers that are old ravers, mate. You, 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 oh no, I find those around. I have found some people who are old ravers, even people at the Ministry of one Justice. Of, one of the one of the one of the greatest. Um, Greatest. That's a that's a that's a, like Muhammad Ali kind of a statement. But a very highly regarded um, criminal uh, lawyer in Wellington now 
um, you started Naked Angel, which is that sort of original, quite seminal underground club yep. in Wellington. Great mind. Shout outs to Paul. Mr. Yeah. Paul Nosley. Yeah. Um, and I, I would run into quite a few people, including d- during the, after the case, yeah. at, at the record fair at the museum, yeah. um, which they were doing you know, in the museum. I ran into this guy and I, out of context and he came up to me and said hi. And then I didn't recognize him out of his suit and he works for the Ministry of Justice. Yeah. So he was one of the people running <laughs> yeah, the case yeah, yeah, and yeah. he was there buying drum and bass 12s. Awesome. And, and, and we were chatting about something. He's like, oh, he goes, I wanted to chat to you during the case. And I was like, wow, man, good guy. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, he was yeah. just like, he goes, oh, I totally, you know. And, he, and I was like, oh, cool, give me some insiders. And he's like, I cannot. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you know, this is a, it's a huge generalization. All the people in club and all over the world, but I have met some very, very brilliant people um, who, you know, enduring friendships and so on from, from uh, as you say, my days when I actually was yeah. out in those hours, um, seems to attract um, some smart people. Uh, so some funny things that happened during the case or anything that you were like, well, that's quite left of centre or anything where you went, oh, that's, I can't believe that just happened or um, I can't believe they're saying that, that's blatantly wrong. You You're a, not gagged. You can't. I mean, this no, is a no, public no, case, isn't no. it? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Actually, during the case, I mean, I mean, it got reported in the newspaper and just at the beginning of the case that the police had solicited um, evidence from the gentleman who a gentleman who was a naval rating who king hit someone down by McDonald's. This is where the big publicity around the beginning of all of this. In the yeah, beginning yeah, of the case, yeah, yeah. but I'd had that. We'd all had that written evidence since November in the big yeah. bundle of evidence. And the day it came in, because I'm thinking about it from a PR point of view. Yeah. Uh, the day that evidence landed. In the bundle with like 20 other bits. I was like, this is a clangor of epic proportions because no matter what he says, he's not an expert. Yeah. And all it will do is get to the media and be made to look really bad for yeah. the police because it, it, it's not so much it reflects it because it's not their views. So but, who but, did but they it, call? Not the guy that not the guy that committed the crime. He'd correct. be in jail. They called correct. him. No, they're correct. Yeah, because he, he's, he's long out of jail. He's what do they want to hope to get from him? Because yeah, I hit someone because I was drunk. His, yeah, his, his, shut the bars early. Correct. That, you've summarised this whole... You've summarised this whole... No, in fact, it was worse than that. He said, if the bars had been closed earlier, I would yeah. not have been out. I would not have been drunk. That guy would still be alive. Oh, fuck and, him. And this I'm is sorry, despicable. That, it's totally despicable. That, that, that's... Um, what? Ugh. And I, I actually said this to the guys. I was like, that was a clangor. And so at the beginning of the case, on virtually the first few days, they said... Um, the police said... Because anyone who gives evidence yeah. can be asked can be cross-examined or questioned by any other party yeah so on the first day they said look you know for the sake of you know just sensitivity for the for the family of the, the of Taran Astana who, who yeah. passed away um who was well known in the club scene um, um yes could, I saw that. Could, could we please you know could everyone agree to not cross-examine this guy and I'm and everyone was like cool 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 um um and I, I thought to me it wasn't so much what the evidence said or didn't say but that that someone in the strategy you know, department of the police sat there and thought that it would be a good idea to get this evidence. I mean, you just got to think good of... Good Navy you boy. Gotta, you you got to think of the, the, yeah. the utter lack of foresight to think of how this would be made to look in the media. Yeah. And um, did the media just jump on it? Oh, and- front page of the Sunday Star Times. Just total clangor. And, um, and then, you know, the Monday morning after that, the, the, the police, you know, who I spoke to just in the hallway, that yeah. they were livid about it. Um, but you know, I mean, but you so, know, and I, I said to one of them, I said, "This is a known goal. Don't blame anyone else." You know. Yeah. Well, see, this, there's so many different angles to this. Um, I just it keeps opening up different thoughts to me. But you know, I got to say that I feel there also there's an element of not maybe that specific instance of what happened with him, but in, in all of this, we're dealing with bigger kind of um, societal stuff, I guess. <clears throat> is this like? 
the sort of mainstream attitude that something like the Navy or the police or all of these sort of organizations are all good stand up, you know, stand up organizations and people and rule bound and da 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 da, and the dance scene's kind of weird and there's yeah. drugs and there's this and it's late and da 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 da. But uh, when I came back here, I got, I had, um, I had, Pretty, pretty crappy hospo work I was doing part-time through, a, through an agent. wonder where this is going. I'll get to my point. <laughs> um, I ended up doing a few bar shifts at the Naval Bar in Devonport. And there were a few times during the night, me as just a lackey who was working there was going, I don't feel comfortable continuing to serve this alcohol. So it's interesting, you know. I say, I guess the punchline of that is what, 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 what wider society sees as acceptable and not acceptable. Yeah. I think there's all this this stuff there as well that gets really murky, and people are unfairly tarred with different brushes and so on, mm-hmm. you know. And, and and that's why I mean I've been in touch with um, Merrick Milan, who's the Amsterdam nightmare. Ooh. Um, so they have a nightmare effect, and then um, they've got a night czar. In, it's a, in legi- London, a legitimate position. Like he's not just decided he's the nightmare, no, no, like the wizard in Christchurch. Position, yeah, okay. legitimate position. So, so, the, so you know, London is starting to do it, and Berlin definitely does it, and Amsterdam. Societies that recognise the cultural value oh, of, of, a, of a vibrant nightlife scene, and you're we're making so far, up. we're so yeah. far off that. Yeah. You think about those cities you just mentioned, and what yeah. and how they're known. I think Wellington would have a nightmare before. Yeah, a nightmare. Them. It's not a very good name, is it? A nightmare. So in, in London, they call it a night czar. Yeah, that's better. And yeah. I think Wellington will get a night czar before um, yeah. before Auckland does. Yeah. Um, and it, so, what do they do? They're, they're, they're working. They're agitating for the night during the day, or are they actually they actually they're doing it at night and night day. Well. But, but it's so that there's a permanent <laughs> conduit between you know um, the nightlife for any concerns they may have, and then also police. If the police notice that there's certain kinds of crime happening, you know, how could clubs be involved in initiatives to reduce it? You know, or if or if or if a bad batch of drugs was going around or yeah. something, you know, which you know they have drug testing in the UK yeah. now, and and, and it's going to be in New Zealand as well. The New yeah. Zealand Drug good. Foundation, really, really good initiative. They bought one of these k- devices that can test drugs at festivals. Yeah, you know, um, in yeah. Australia, someone said we're going to do the same thing, and the police said if you do that, we'll show up, we'll stand there, and we'll arrest everyone who comes. You know, it's, and well, it's like, you know, you, 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 I mean, I'm sure you come across this one. It's a pretty famous case. There's the there's the young girl. I think it was at the Sydney Big Day Out, and they had drug dogs, and so she panicked and ate everything. Before she got in, oh. and that's one of that's one of the known kind of ecstasy fatalities. But she she panicked. There was she was she didn't want to yeah. get arrested. She didn't want you know it's just a young 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 girl. Yeah. Look it up after. I'm surprised yeah. you haven't heard of it. Um, I was going to ask about that too, as in terms of unfair sort of prejudice, or, or or maybe someone on the other side wanting to try and frame things a certain way. Um, people like to alter their consciousness. There's there's drugs at rock festivals. There's drugs at Sports games in the audience. There's drugs and nightclub life. There's drugs. And there's alcohol everywhere. Were, yeah, but were, did someone try and play that cheap card on you? Well, <laughs> uh, actually, some people were kind of like, yeah, "Why are you doing this?" And then they'd say, "What do you do?" And then I, I, it, it's, it seems so weird that I would have to start half of my conversation saying, "Just, just so you know, yeah. I've never taken drugs in my life. I've never yeah. even held a cigarette. Yeah. I've never had a Red Bull." Yeah, I said, but I have had lots of Heineken's and I've yeah. definitely had lots of vodkas. But oh, you're I, really I, confusing them now. I said, I said so. So <laughs> d- yeah. d- don't don't. I said I'm not here, you know, doing it from a point of view. I want to take pingers and get off my rocker all the time. Yeah, but yeah. Ha- having seen it from the DJ booth, which yeah. is like this interesting position, this this kind of oh, we know we know we know we know a lot about human psychology, yeah. and we yeah, often have a, we, of, we often have a good view yeah, of a very the, good view of yeah. it because you're kind of the sober person conducting the yeah. party, yeah. and it's kind of like a you're curating the music as much as I hate that word, yeah. um, and you're, you're bunging it together, bunging it together, and then you're um and you're kind of trying it's like psychology, you're trying to control adults, 
yeah. you know, to, to bring them to elation and, you know, so keep them So, no, I got you off your point. It was back to the, the, drug, the drug thing. Yeah. So I've seen, I, I have seen firsthand, you know, many, many, many of my friends, if not most of them from clubbing, I've seen them take drugs and the yeah. effects of how it changes them. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not an expert on drugs per se, but I have seen that these people are out partying that it is vastly safer than the kind of drinking I've seen when I've been asked to DJ at house yeah. parties. Um, well, where, you know, someone people... who isn't me um, was witness to the very good ecstasy around in the late 90s. And, um, yeah, it seemed to be like how – I mean, I'd, I don't see how there could have been any trouble in some of those rooms, you know. Mm. <laughs> totally. I mean, I used to DJ at – Someone who was where, me. I guess, you know, at, at, at events and stuff when, when ecstasy was – don't, you know, get really me sta- don't get me started on prohibition. The yeah. other problem there is all these young kids are going out and taking horrible derivative versions of things that make you not be the way the real things make yeah. you. And I, and I just see this thing about this, um, uh, this synthetic cannabis that they've had these deaths, I think. Yeah, or, 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 Russell Brown. Crazy, Russ, crazy. Ru- you ever look at Russell Brown's blog? You know, standard? Uh, uh, it's not what's called, no. Public address. Uh, public address. Yes, yes. yes I don't good. know if you know, he's very, he's very, very big... Um, into writing about drug policy has been the last few years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, here's actually another thing you might want to look at afterwards. He posted a, a, a wee um, rant about that yesterday or the day before. Um, apparently, it's just some random plant matter sprayed with something that's been killing a bunch of people in the States. Oh. Crazy. Have a look. Have a look afterward. Um, the things that have been killing people in the States, that's a pretty broad thing. No, no, it, it is. It's like it's, policemen, this is, hey, this, racism, This is a, po- this Trump, is a podcast. Um, I just say what I want. It's my, no, no, no. Oxy, not Oxycontin. Um, that's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely an opioid. It's definitely oh. an opioid. And it's a liquid version. This is what they suspect at the States. This is what that, that batch is in New Zealand. So this and so illegal. it's regular plant matter spray. Sorry? It's, this stuff's illegal in New Zealand? S- you synthetic, can buy in the shop. Synthetics are illegal. But what has happened is suddenly I'm... I'm, 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 I'm putting myself on the spot as the, as the drug trade expert. But my understanding is that because crystal meth is so lucrative now, um, you don't get the widespread cannabis growing like you would have even 10 years ago. Um, cannabis is a lot easier to spot. It's smellier. So the punchline I'm getting to is a lot of the gangs and so on are selling meth and not worrying about pot. Okay, okay. So my friends who enjoy a smoke have said that um cannabis is in short supply at the moment so i think i think so this is a way of explaining why would you help would you smoke this horrible derivative version i think it's because there's a nationwide shortage and it's and it's related to crystal meth i I have as i said i have very little um kind of knowledge of um of, of drug use um, yeah, but you, but, even, but as as but what as, I'm saying is makes sense. Seeing, other than seeing the difference between people dancing on it or off it on a yeah. dance floor, and so what, why is that? Just never, never, never appeal to you because you say you do drink? No, um, no, I, I think it was because I got into DJing for what I call the organic reasons. It yeah. wasn't wasn't what these young guys get into it now for. Um, I got into it because I was just you know a, a quiet a, a, a quiet geeky guy, a quiet shy guy, and yeah. it was kind of a way you could get involved in parties where you could compile the tapes by pressing pause yeah. and and making these little compilations. And then I went to a dance party and was like amazed. I was like, you know, the, the, the music didn't end, you know. And then you eventually kind of get involved and find out how it's done. And suddenly I'm playing KLF records. And um, and looking at when you uh, started, 1993, i got to say, I was, I was, I think I bought my first 1200 in 1994 or five. So yeah. we weren't far off. You're a few couple of years um, older than me. <laughs> but it sounds like there's very similar experiences, Rob. You um, you probably went to other kinds of gigs and stuff at school, dance culture. It had, it had been around here a while, but I think it really started to pop its head up. Yeah. Around then, and I, like you, went to a rave and probably drunk Coca-Cola all night and 
Yeah, dance till seven. Oh, I was scared to get. I was scared to get drunk when I was young. I mean, I I got into that was when I started DJing '93. I'd been into electronic music for a few years. I had a typical older brother thing. I had an older brother, so I grew up in the '80s. I was into you know, well, whatever older brothers into. Uh, Well, actually, it was more like um, no, even uh, more black, more like more like Def Leppard. Yeah, more yeah. like Def Leppard, White Snake, um, Jesus Jones, you know, c- kind of stuff. Now you look back and you kind of laugh at, yeah. even though Def Leppard's cool as I yeah. love Def Leppard. I went and Def saw Leppard. the. I got given free tickets to that show here, oh, two thousand eight or nine, and the whole of Vector was just chocker. Oh, man. And then they started. Playing, it was a free ticket, and and you know, because I, I. So what I'm getting at is, I didn't go as a diehard fan, but when they started playing, I was like, man. And you forget how many good songs. Time. That's right. You just forget great, how many good just, songs just, some just, of those bands had. Just great pop music. Yeah. But yeah, this whole the, like Vector was just rammed twenty yeah. years later. Oh, I love leather that. pants, lots of kind of. Sexual moves with the guitar, yeah. just a bunch of old dudes have still got it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so so and then, then at some stage, my brother suddenly he was um, buying Ten City records and yeah. um, stuff on um, FFRR from the UK. So did he, he did he and, did he have a cool guy at a record shop who? How did he discover all of that? I do not know. NME? Do not know. And then so you know, once Ten City comes along, and then you're listening to. Um, Steve Silk Hurley and East Move remixes, which yeah. went into CC Peniston and you know New York House. Yeah. Then I'm hooked on house, and then I moved to Japan for yeah. um, about oh, 15 months in 2003, wow. where I really discovered. Where Tokyo, uh, Osaka? Uh, no, I was on Fukoku. Um, yeah. Sorry, not Fukoku. Um, Shikoku yeah. for the first nine months, and then I spent about six months in a town called Kure, which is next to Hiroshima. Yeah. So um um, what but a I, wild I, country that is. I went clubbing and you know was like, what's this music? You know, there'd be the second room at a nightclub. Yeah. Second room, and it'd just be like this real slower dubby music was singing in it, and and then and that, that turned out to be New York House. And I yeah. looked at the, some of the stuff. I quickly had a glance at some of the stuff you were into, and we we are we have very similar tastes when it comes to house and tech. Like you say, kind of um, dubbier. Um, stuff like I saw you into like Peace Frog. I saw you. I saw that you'd done a remix of the Salida tune I used to play. That be, used be to, yourself. It used to freak people out a little in Wellington because it was too kind of devery and yeah. deep and you know like a lot of back back then I don't know about Auckland but but vocals used to be equated with cheese very unfairly. But that tune I love all in that. Wellington I, or yeah I'd probably not so much now like Wellington does does, does does vocal house and Wellington doth not have a huge history yeah. together. Because Wellington was really into its noodles, wasn't it? What's noodles? You know, like kind of generic deep house. Mm, <laughs> no, I was just, okay. just making a joke about so Andy did, and Schmoo and those yeah. guys. No, no, they, they love that. Um, stuff like, I saw you post that Sneak had come through 20 years ago. I mean, that was a yeah. huge show, Sneak and Doc Martin. Yeah. That gig in Wellington was Sneak and Doc Martin in one room. How's this? 90 Sneak and Doc Martin in one room, Basement Jacks in the other. Yeah. See, in Auckland, they played in the, in the power station. Noodles. But then they went over and played in the, the community hall across the road. Doc Martin as well? Yeah, in the kitchen. And they put the, the decks <laughs> basically over where the hob was, and they were yeah. playing in the kitchen. But, um, yeah. but see, that's interesting you're talking about. Uh, and, and try, so the last one, I'm going to geek out together, is, um, is tri- the label Tribal that I really got into as well. That, again, um, back 94, 95, when I was first starting, was... Um, what well, didn't quite fit well, he sound at the time, but I love all that stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if, if Greg Churchill was there, he'd be going, oh, you've, you've opened the can of worms with Rob now. Because um, oh, I, I, I collect, I collect yeah. tribal recordings. Oh, do you? Record, yeah. okay. So I've got every well, record. Funny you say that, I regret getting rid of a bunch of them back yeah. then. Yeah. I've got every record they've made, and I've got about six or seven, which they never released, the test pressings. So, um, oh boy! So also, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I love okay. that label, and and that label I re- I regard as being the greatest label of the nineties for house music. Yeah, not, I mean, strictly rhythm people know more. Yeah, because it put a lot more records out. They were yeah. putting out two or three records yeah. a month. But Tribal had a, funnily enough, this is such a dorky comment. Tribal had a kind of more tribal. <laughs> well, exactly. Just a bit yeah. of a darker, and, and tri- darker sound. Tribal than, was um, also yeah. it was what they would call like a fierce label. So it had like the the handbag. 
and he's diva, folks. The, the, the diva, they had like the, the handbag diva yeah, element, yeah, and then yeah. the real strong connection with the New York gay scene. Yeah, and oh, totally. a huge connection. That's the Junior Vasquez yeah, and all that yeah, Salida yeah, yeah. and stuff. But then it had like all of the 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 kooky, quirky European stuff that was really dark and What, acidic. to tribal the label? To tribal, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that was really good, diverse label. And so many, some of the greatest artists of the last 25 years, you know, had their first records from in that label, like Junior Vasquez. What happened Tanaglia. to it? What happened to it? Well, in about 96, I think their deal ended with their distributor or they had some dispute. So the guy who ran the label, Rob Stefano, folded it. Yeah. And then relaunched it as Twisted Records. Yeah. Which is, which was... Have you been to a Tanaglia show? Oh, yeah, a couple I of have, uh, I did it home in London in 2000. It was oh, one of the most amazing. stunning nights out I've ever had. Um, yeah. He was just amazing. Just amazing. He's amazing. Um, yeah, absolutely. I saw him when he played in Auckland in 98, January 98. Yeah. And then um, I've seen <laughs> Listen him, to us. <laughs> I've seen him in, uh, I've seen him in um, Singapore at Zook, which uh, is this, basically the, Zook. Which is the greatest sound system in the night. I went to Zook on the way to, well, no, was, I, was in, I went and did the Red Bull Academy in 2000. Yeah. And so the tickets, um, we stopped in Singapore and someone... Funnily enough, a bunch of DJs going to a DJ Academy in Dublin. Someone had a hookup for a guy who was part of Zook and he showed us through and stuff. We had a night there. Amazing place. Amazing sound system. Steve Dash. Um, now, <laughs> last geeky question I want to ask about Tribal Records, because you, you might be able to help me out here with something that's bothered me a few I feel years. bad if I don't know it. <laughs> As, um, I'm sure I had, because back in those days, starting out, compilations were great because yep. they just, for obvious reasons, provide a lot of options, get your ears into what I like, what I don't like. I'm sure I had a tribal compilation on vinyl, but I don't know where it's gone. Did they do a comp back then on vinyl? Um, well, they did. Most of the comps they did on CD, they'd do a vinyl double pack of. Okay, I must so have that, one of those. So the, the so one that you're probably talking about. It's not one That was called um, The Sound of Tribal UK, mixed by Junior Vasquez. <laughs> it was. And the double pack vinyl, um, oh, that was on Tribal UK, the yeah, sub label. Yeah. And that had. Um, it had. Um, you know, Matt Wood, what am I going to do? Had Junior Vasquez, get your hands off my man. It had um, Liquid City, hands. Feeling Free, Danny yeah. Tanaglia, Bottom Heavy. Uh, well, um, what happened to it? It's gone. Yeah. So you got thousands of records? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got... You don't still, I, I, do you I, still I, buy now? Got, I've probably got two feet of tribal records alone. Right. You still uh, buy stuff now? Um, I, I do buy the odd thing. Yeah. Um, and usually I, I've got a want list on my Discogs account. Yeah. And so I have a want list. And every so often I'll just, just do a quick black through and see if anyone's put one up and I'll buy one up. I bought something a few weeks ago, something I've been after for years, and I'll buy stuff that's never come out digitally. I'm, you, I'm, you pay through the nose when you need to? Generally not, no. no. Yeah, I'll, I'll get stuff if it's like five bucks plus postage, yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I'm, um, uh, see, see, even though I enjoy vinyl and I'll happily play it, I'm not, um, I'm not, attract, I'm not um, hooked to it totally. Yeah. So I, over the years, I had a turntable and a mixing disc and a computer next to my works where I worked. Yeah. So I would have a stack of records and I would record off the B-sides and stuff that I loved. I'd go and search for them first, see if they're available in digital stores yeah. or, the, or the appropriate Russian blog, <laughs> and, then, and then record them off. So yeah. basically m- most of my record collection of stuff that has never been released digitally, yeah. I have it digitized yeah. and de-clicked. And I'm, not, I'm not a snob either. I will happily go play um, good-sounding MP3s, um, but I still love using the Serato um, Vinyl, okay, just yeah. because that's what I'm used to doing hands-wise. But I got to say, I was, I was, I was like, this is a game changer. Once when okay, I can't believe I just said game changer. It's a terrible expression. But well, I, I was, I was, I was playing a bit at um, Britomart Country Club quite a few, a few years ago now, and um, I got into the just take the USB key for the CD player with a pair of headphones. Yep. And I walked in, and I was almost like, I was like, I'm cheating. No, I'm I cheating agree, totally. because my back's not, my back's not half put out. And look, with you, it's like it, it worked. It sounded great. Amazing. Yeah. 
You know? and, and, and there was an earlier version of that when vinyl, when CDJs first got good. Yeah. Um, and people started changing CDJs. I would take a CD wallet, which got bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. But I could not go to a gig without still taking vinyl. Yeah. And but the amount of vinyl got less and less and less. Yeah. And it got, got to the stage where, in the last couple of years of that era, yeah. when I was traveling, because I tr- used to travel um, up to Asia a couple of times a year and do events. Yeah. Um, do, do them around um, Singapore. Yeah. Um, Cambodia, China, you know, just, wow. um, and um, I would still take like six records with me. So <laughs> yeah. I, it'd be like just this token thing, and they'd pr- pretty much never get played. But it was just like I could not bring yeah, myself totally. to go to an event. But, and, yeah. but, and then the CD wallet, and one CD, when when airplanes was, travels when it gets the best, right? Yeah. When you know, I've done stuff like pretend that the bag I'm carrying is not fifty kilos, so that I don't have to pay the. Oh, I, I had lots of ways to get around that. I, I'd basically go up there, and when you got near the front of the queue, I'd put my rec- my carry-on record bag just on the floor, and I'd just kick it along the floor. I've done that yeah. too. <laughs> kick it along the floor. And, the- and then when you're at the counter, it, it, sometimes I'd be like, oh, is there a bag down there? And you'd say yes, but sometimes they wouldn't even notice it. No. You'd just be like, no. No, I've pre- as I say, I've pretended it's got like socks in it or something, and then finally, and I remember once I got all the way through, because once, once, um, once you're at the um, customs screening, I've learned this. They can't really do anything. They don't really, you know how they say, you know, even with just traveling locally, nothing to do with records. They'll be like, you know, if it's over seven kilos, we'll charge, da, da, da. They just can't. You're too far into the system. It sends everything. So once this guy realized that this bag, he, he lifted up and there was this customer, the, the customs guy, just this look of shock on his face. He almost mm. went white. And he goes, yeah, I've never- he goes, he goes, mate, if that falls out of the overhead, that's going to kill someone. Yeah. And then he sort of looked around and he goes, I can't do anything, but that's going to kill someone and then yeah. send it through. So. I actually, um, I, I, same with you, I, I, I've always done it and, and taken the gamble. I have never <laughs> once had it taken off me. Yeah. But um, once when I was on a plane, leaving Auckland to go um, up to Asia and Singapore Airlines, the guy, I got down to the, you know, when you people like me get the cheap seats that you're always in the last section of the yeah. plane, the guy grabbed it and he said, oh, I'll just, so I'd put it up there and he went to move it along to make space. And, like and, he, and, he went, and he went, <laughs> and it only had about 60, 70 records and yeah. he moved along. And he said, we can't have that up there. And I was like, why? And I said, I'll put it under my seat. And he goes, no, you can't do that. And, I, and he said, oh, we, um, he said, we can't have it up there because, you know, if there's turbulence, the, um, the things will pop open and they'll fall out. Yeah. And I said, actually, I just watched the YouTube video the other month where they got a 767 decommissioned one and they put lots of cameras in it and stuff in the overhead compartments and they crashed it into the desert. You and said all Discovery this. Channel, uh, Discovery <laughs> Channel. And I said, I watched it. And you know one thing they noticed? What? Not a single overhead compartment opened, yet all the seats were flying everywhere. And I said, so that's the last thing that's... And, and the guy was like, oh. And I, he, he, I, he, I, I, I'm getting this feeling that I don't... I think you have a question, Rob. When he's uh, he's going to have his uh, what is it, his eyes dotted and his t's crossed. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I think. He, well, I mean, you know, when you're involved with um, if I was quick, quick thinking sense of humour with him, I would have said, "Sir, YouTube is not a reputable source. YouTube is not a reputable <laughs> academic know. source." No, well, sometimes you don't need to. You don't need to actually need to have a compelling point. You need to delay them long enough that the embarrassment of them holding up other passengers is greater than yeah. them t- teaching you a lesson. Yeah. And, and so the punchline of this story is, I'm glad my record bag never killed anyone. Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and I'm glad that I, like even now, if I have to take a big CD wallet, I'm yeah. like, man, that's heavy. And then I go, no, no, records were heavy. Before we lose everyone, anyone who's not some way, shape or form DJ. knows about dance or DJing, um, I will say Greg b- burns uh, each single tune to uh, a full-length CD. He believes yeah. that's the quality way to... Burn them. So there you go. I've, I've been harassing him about that for years. Why? You think it's silly logic? Yes. 
Because he, he, he's, it wasn't about the quality on the CD. I think for him it was about when you're looking through your CD wallet, yeah. it's more like looking through individual records. No, that's true. That is the reason. That is the reason. That's right. And that's what I struggle with with the USB key thing was that little display was yeah. a bit of a head scratcher. Yeah. Anyway. I just, I just came up with a system of I, putting crosses after tunes. So okay, if, it had, if it had three crosses, it was like a must-have. Two yeah. was net, and then one was... So it was kind of a hierarchy system. So, so um, I think the good old Rock Shop um, gave Greg an endorsement for Tractor. So he's no doubt playing around on that now oh, as well. okay. Um, shouts to Leon. So how did you get yourself around Asia? Did you organise those shows? Was it you, was it you managing yourself? That, or did you have an agent? Um, or? I started with um, actually doing launch events for 42 Below Vodka yeah. in, in Asia. And that was in about 2000 and late 2003. Yeah. And so we did the big launch um, for a venue in Bangkok called Sirocco, yeah. which was an outdoor venue on the 67th floor of a building. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, at that time, it was the highest outdoor restaurant in the world. Yeah. And so I did the indoor part. Um, and so that was you were working for 42 Below? So I, was, I, was, I was going up and doing launch events and stuff with them, but then some but of these... But not just DJing, like actually helping put on the event? No, Is that what you no, mean? I was, no, I would help organise some little find venues, but generally it was more DJing at the events. It would, it would kind of be their way of saying to someone, hey, we're going to do this launch event. Yeah. If, if you fly this guy up, we'll put him in the hotel, we'll... We'll um, you know get it, and it'll be like this cool little New Zealand connection, and we'll have a few other things. The venues that I DJed at, you know, I I, I think I did a fairly good job of uh, reconnoitering the venues that we do stuff at, so I knew that I would fit with them musically. So yeah. the kind of events I was doing were kind of in that Dimitri from Paris Masters at Work kind of vibe. Yeah. So they were conducive with you know older people cocktail events, yeah. you know, Sitting as opposed down, as a, standing up dancing, as, as opposed to being raves. So mm. then we started doing some silent discos, which we did in Singapore on a rooftop, and then we did you one. Give in, everyone headphones. You give everyone headphones, and they choose between you or another DJ? another DJ, local DJ. Yeah. And then Do you we, know the numbers. <laughs> it comes like oh no, sixty. People oh yeah, are yeah it's a competition. No, no, no. no. Um, and then then, I, then, I, then we did that in Malaysia as well, and yeah. then um, that was two nights in our outs, outside a large mall called Pavilion Mall. But um, on the second night we did that, we were... Um, a bar outside a mall? Or no, just, they, they, just... they built an enclosure, which had a, a maybe a one and a half metre high fence. What so was it, a club, a bar? A, a, just a big outdoor area out in the forecourt of a mall. Right. And they did it in the evening, so you could probably get 300 who, people. Who did it? A promoter just put on 42 stuff below. in a random space. Oh, 42 Blue. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Bacardi Martini, who were the yeah. Malaysian, um, yeah. Malaysian agents. And then, um, and then the Ministry of Culture showed up and said, if I didn't stop teaching, we'd get arrested because... Um, the Ministry of Culture in, in Malaysia, um, they are very conservative Muslims very, who get themselves yeah. into positions of influence, yeah. of cultural influence, and um, their reasoning was... So, so it was ha- they were happy for a Malaysian DJ to DJ, yeah. just not me, because pa- apparently a foreign person playing electronic music to um, locals would subvert good Muslim people um, who, who were walking past going to the mall. Whereas, who could if, see us. whereas if a Malaysian DJ played exactly the same tunes, he wasn't. Correct. So, so, so I was like, it's well, not even thinly veiled. I, racism. I was like, that suits me fine. And so I, I ended up having a vodka and, and just of all the random things, it was quite late in the year and it was when Zook Out was happening in Singapore. Yeah. Zook put a big large yeah, outdoor yeah, yeah, beach yeah. event in. Yeah. And um, this guy walked past and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Dimitri from Paris. Um, and so I called him and he turned around and I was like, come and have a drink. And so we ended up having a drink and he was like just aimlessly wandering well, around. Did you know him beforehand or you no. just like, hey, to he, me? He, he was playing at Zook later that night because right. Zook used to have, Zook had a nightclub in KL at that stage. He was playing in KL and then the next morning he was flying to Singapore. Hey, that's a good opening for a, a conversation to a, a very well-known DJ that you've never met before is you'll never guess what just happened, <laughs> which is probably what you I said know. first, right? Yeah. I'll be like, well, no, we're chatting, but he was aimlessly wandering around looking for a coffee. Because his hotel was over the road. Um, 
Hey, have you done um, have you done radio over the years, Rob? Have you been in oh, the yeah. George fold for a little bit? And um, what, when, what's what's the? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm from a radio background, so when George first started, I did a lot of shows, a lot of felons. I and did in 1999. If people went overseas, I would basically you know for a few months or something. I filled in for Luke Thompson DJ for like Phil. two months once or yeah. something, you know. Um, yeah. And then I mean I was always working full time as well and DJing a lot. So um and then um I I I don't didn't 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 you know I didn't play the favourites game. Yeah, you know. Um, what do you think about what's happened to it? It's a real shame, right? Um, well, I mean, I, I think the p- people, if they, people who own it, can do whatever they want. I, I think that they have moved a long way from their roots. Um, yeah. I, I just got a new car recently, and so I've started listening to the radio in the car. Yeah. And I've got George programmed. I've never lasted more than about thirty seconds on it. It's no. just I turn it no, over, and, I, and, and I'm like, I'm like, what am I listening to? It sounds like someone juggling skill saws. What do I? <laughs> What I find, um, it's like someone once described to me. But, but, but they're obviously doing well because their numbers are okay as far Some, as I someone once described, this makes me think of this, someone once described Mikey Havoc's DJing to me as two shoes in a dryer. Um, <laughs> a pair of sneakers in a dryer. A pair of sneakers in a dryer. I've heard that. But, I've well, heard that in relation to Mikey. <laughs> yeah. Bless him, love him. Um, but uh, with a big grin. Um, but totally. um, uh, it's funny, interesting with that you say you know, a company can do what they want. And I mean, yeah. I guess Absolutely, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's free market capitalism. You're right. But what I do find interesting there that bugs the hell out of me, but you see no one will ever stick up for themselves who's got these shows because we all know about how shows get your gigs and DJs enjoy doing them and da-da-da-da-da, is I find it really interesting how at night time they're still happy to adopt the old George formula of we don't pay you (laughs) (laughs) because because you're doing it for love. It's like, hang on a minute. You can't have your cake and, mm. but clearly you, you you can and and there's that that's that's an interesting thing often in creative endeavors eh, is like be they they know that's right they know the DJ knows deep down that if they say will you pay me then they'll be replaced and and they know there's there's always an, there's always a long queue of people who are willing to do it for free and so I, I I mean just from from a music snob point of view you know you think you know you've been in the game long enough you think you know better than everyone and and Greg probably thinks well, the same do. everyone does is that I I look at it and go they've gone a long way from their roots yeah. but that's what they wanted to do as a business yeah. but in terms of what they could have been in terms of artistically yeah. they, they, they don't mean a lot no. to me um, but, but uh, when Greg and them play or Bevan does his show still I'll sometimes tune in yeah, oh they're still the great shows and, and yeah. I'll be like yeah this is cool but um, um, I, Mark, I don't Mark, Mark, entertainment and music together Mark Slave's show uh, Slave's show's great on Sundays perfect yep. time when I'm pottering around here doing mm. stuff and I listen to um, Bobby sometimes yep yeah, and those shows, if you are, if you are, you know, if, you, if, if for those guys, a lot of those guys actually are entertainment is their job, and yes. you know, um, the thing these days with fees and stuff is those shows can get you bloody good New Year's gigs mm. and stuff because your name's out there. Yeah, you know, a lot of my students are listening to George now, man. It's changed every year. I ask, it used to be a couple of hands go up. Now it's a big mainstream station. Yeah. You know? And, and I, th- I think to an extent, I, I, because I worked and I, I was studying for a long time while I was DJing full-time and yeah. then I was working full-time while I was DJing a lot, I have always had possibly the luxury of being able to treat DJing purely as a creative pursuit for myself. So yeah. I have never gone... You haven't, I, done the, I, you haven't done the circuit. Well, out no, of necessity, I'm not a circuit DJ, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, I haven't done the, I will play um, this music because it will get me more gigs and more, therefore more money, which is what I would determine a circuit DJ to be. Whereas yeah. Bevan and Greg play what they like, what they want, and they still get the gigs. Yeah, And, 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 and I, I get, I get um, offered quite a few gigs, and, and probably half the gigs I get offered, I say, you're probably better off getting someone else. How, like, how, oh. how often do you play now? Oh, probably three gigs a month. And, cool. then, and then over summer, probably eight gigs a month. You oh, know? right, nice. So, so it's still a fair amount. Um, Maybe I need to get back on the bike. Yeah. 
But but you know, for, for, as I said, but I also think that the flip side of that, not DJing as much and not having the the financial pressure to have to DJ, is that I feel like I'm much better um, at, at what I do. Yeah, I'm, much, you know, like well, I, I have I... a better idea of the music, the better idea of the the subgenres I can span. And, you know, it's more indulgent. And so when I do play gigs, like I played with DJ Pierre when he came to Auckland yep. last year, and um, is that, you know, you, you, the, the gigs mean a lot more to me. Yeah. Yeah. They're calendar events for Rather me. than being swapping and my so time completely, for money. And so completely not to do with playing um, dance music to people. You've just described exactly what I've said to a few people about this podcast, because I've, you know, I've, I've done broadcast stuff in the past, or I've done things that are analogous. I just do this to do it, yeah. to meet people, to chat to them. It uses those skills, but I've got my day job, and it's great. And it's just like I try and get one up a week, and so I get I get all of that. And then with the DJing thing, mine's even far less than yours. Yeah, occasionally someone will be like, um, there'll be a birthday or a marriage or something, and it's people who aren't going to hassle me to play stuff I don't have. Yeah, and I go down and play nice music to good people. Or, yeah, absolutely. You know, so yeah, um, so you stay, so you're looking at my Facebook photos the other day, and you spot Professor Wayne Hope. Oh yeah. Um, he is a professor now. He's the highest. He's one of the highest. Um, what, what do you call it? It's not. What are they called academically? Are they uh, tenure? Tenure titles. Yeah. He's one of. The, we we have professors in the department now because you went through the comms department, right? Yeah. So I, what's, I did. What the... sent you back to postgrad study later in life? I did the same. Well, I did. Um, I did marketing earlier 2010, on. Did you say no? Two thousand. No, no, no. When did you go back? Two th- oh, 2000. Oh, two thousand. Yes, so, so I did. Oh, okay. I did a Postgrad in um, communications and public relations at AUT yeah. under under um, uh, Joseph Pett. So you, a, a postgrad, the great, the great so, 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 so that was. Um, you would have been one of the first comms students. It was, it was the first. It was the second year they'd done the postgrad. Yeah. So that year was also the. I think it was the first year that uh, that the people were finishing the Bachelor of Communication. I think the Bachelor started about ninety seven or something yeah, or ninety six. Yeah. 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 So 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 we actually did some of the same papers, including mass comm theory yeah. with um with Dr. Hope. Yeah, I teach. He was that, yeah, I, t- I teach that now. Yeah, it's so I, good. I, I te- I, that's that's why we're all, that was the teaching team for. It's, it's called it's good. called media com now. Yeah. You can think of obvious reasons it's not called mass communication now. Because it sounds wrong. Yeah, because it's like. Yeah. What's the textbook? Was um Karen and Gurevich? Oh no, or... no, te- no textbooks now, son. Oh all, yeah, all, we had to go buy. Text- I actually got one of my textbooks out recently. Yeah. A friend of mine was really winding me up about yeah. um about you know media conspiracies and stuff, and I'm like, before we talk about this further, can, yeah. can I just send you something to read? Yeah. And so I got it out of my bookcase. Like I read lots of books, yeah. like almost a book a week. So I pulled out um. Uh, this book and I opened it and it still had the receipt in it from when I bought it from Uni Services yeah. where, and it was like sixty five dollars. <laughs> I cannot believe how much we had to spend. We on used textbooks. to spend so much on textbooks and and we and the other thing we used to have to do at Vic. I don't know about you is we so the readings that are now PDFs online. We used to have to pay for a book that the university put together of the readings. It must yeah. have been a copyright thing. Back to what you say about your friends and I, I this okay. So obviously I'm I'm. Oh, my bias is that the right word? I'm I'm um, I'm interested in the area, and that's why I've ended up teaching it. Very very interested in it. But I I think most, if not all, humans in the society, in the way it's currently structured, and the way information gets conveyed, should do some version of that. What's taught in those courses? I think yeah. we'd have different people in government. I think we'd have a different oh. understanding of the media. I think fake news wouldn't be a problem because most people would spot it as bullshit from a mile yeah. away. Um, you know, we don't we don't get our messages in church halls or whatever anymore. The media mm. is. Yeah, and, and did and, you did it did it open your eyes? Oh, it, it absolutely opened my eyes. Yeah. But but you know, broader reading. Um, like I'm a big follower of, um, say for example, podcast by Sam Harris. Yeah, and then um, I've just bought a, rec- a book called The Strange Death of Europe. By um, Douglas Murray, yeah. who's an English academic, yeah. um, and th- these are you know general interest books. And what I get from 
discussions I have with people I know who are who I consider to be very intelligent people compared to general Facebook banter when people say, oh, bloody government conspiracy or whatever, yeah. is that, you know, and, and, and also the example of Donald Trump being elected is that um, the, the, the climate in the last probably 10 years has changed so much because of the way people get their information totally, from yeah. their newsfeed on Facebook yeah. or on Twitter and that the messages have got shorter and simpler, but they've also ended up having to compete. Those messages have to compete with each other. So they act like they're competing. So they've become more outrageous. Yeah. More and so the vitriol's got worse, and fiction, the, the exaggerations and blurred with hard yeah, content. And the exaggerations and, got worse, yeah. and so you end up with this thing that that we, I no, notice more and more and more, and it's not paying out um, younger people or people who you know didn't um, go to have tertiary education. Is that more and more people? I, I'm just amazed that they cannot spot the how obvious a lie some things are. Yeah, or they can't. It's spot, amazing. Or they can't spot how. And the discernment they seems to be they, disappearing. They can't spot how obviously crazy some of the conspiracy theorists they, yeah, theories exactly. they believe in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, um, so for my students, it's like it's not all of them. The ones that get it really get it because it's the, probably the most academic paper we offer. You got to remember the rest of the week they're running around with cameras and stuff and doing yeah. that sort of thing. Um, I give that big riff at the beginning and I say, look, you guys are going to be the people that keep other people on the level. You know, I try yeah. and say, you know, this is really important. But at the end of the day, for a lot of them, I kind of, I joke that it's like cod liver oil. It's like, they yeah. don't want to take it. They don't want to take it. I'm like, you got to take this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's also one of those things, you know? it's one of those things that you ha- you have to be naturally inclined to want to read a lot out of your area of interest yeah. to actually learn enough and have a broad enough understanding of lots of different things, yeah. which builds your ability to understand other things, which is what because yeah, if you're too which, narrow, which is what any higher learning should do. Teach yeah, you how to exactly. Do all of that stuff. You know, yeah. and, and you always you always hear people talk about oh, you know, when they're at first year university and they've got to they have to do these compulsory papers and they're like, I don't want to do that. I'll yeah, never yeah. have to learn that. But yeah. it wasn't about learning that thing. It was about learning the. It was about you know understanding the ability to learn something that you're not interested in that may not be useful yeah. because it actually builds your ability to you know um, form um, logical arguments yeah. or to work things out or to solve or, problems. Or to or, discern information, yeah. sort, to, sort wheat from Jeff. Yeah. Da, da, da. Um, well, what has been nice is a couple of people have said to me, uh, before my time, because I'm new to in the scheme of things to, to, to being an academia, it was not, never planned from about 2011 onwards, um, is people who've done the comms degree before I was around there teaching going, yeah, yeah, I hated that paper at the time, but I got to about 25 or 26, and I was like, I'm so glad I did that. Yeah. You know, sort of like uh, I agree. the I stuff agree. they remembered. Yeah. So I think I cut you off before. Yeah, why did you go? You went back to do postgrad what, purely for, for, to, for employment reasons? or No. For, for, no, just to expand the mind? I, I was one of those people who, when I came back from living overseas um, in Japan, um, I had to wait till the beginning of the next year, which was 95, uh, 95, 96. And, um, and so I just signed up for AUT and I was doing the, um, the Bachelor of Marketing. Yeah. Sorry, the, yeah, Bachelor of Marketing. So when I got in into the business the, school, in the business school, when yeah. I got into the year where you could do some elective papers, mm. there was one paper called um, Marketing Communication. Yeah. And it was done by two lecturers, a marketing lecturer and a communication lecturer. Can you remember who they were? I'll tell you if they were still, still there. Dave, Dave Bibby was the marketing <laughs> okay, one. I don't know that guy. And the, the communication one was um, jo- Joseph Peart. Yes, right. And Joseph Peart passed, passed away yes, a few years did. ago. Good yeah. man. I love Joseph. Such yeah. a good man. Um, and um, uh, so when I was doing that paper, I was just like, wow, this is much more me. Because all of the people I knew who'd done marketing, you, when you went into the professional world and got into a marketing role, invariably it started off as a sales rep or something. Yeah, yeah. And it, that was never really my... my yeah, cold calls it, in. It's, it's not my thing. Yeah. So, um, so I did that paper and then he just happened to say to me, oh, you know, 
blah, blah, and I wondered what other papers we could do. And he said, oh, we actually now offer this um, graduate diploma in communications and public relations. Cool. I'm like, done, sign me up. Yeah. And he's like, actually, he's like, actually, there's a big, big, big funnel of people who want to do this. Yeah. We've only got about 35 places. Yeah. And so I, in my head, you know, I was kind of like, oh, what do I do? You know, got a reference from someone and a few things. And then and then I, I got into it, and it was one of those, in the early days, it was... As you imagine, public relations, it was, uh, I think it was 32 females and three males. Hasn't changed much. Um, I can walk it, into a first year class yeah. and I can, I, can, I can make an educated guess before they even know who's going to do PR. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, but, but, no but, but this communication and public relations yeah. also had radio and, and journalism and stuff. That, that was what the name of the course was. Are you blonde, now and, are you blonde and female and from the North Shore? Yeah. And then in this class, you're probably going to end up doing yeah. PR. Yeah, and so, so, I mean, I, I still work in PR, but we, we jokingly, I jokingly call it man PR because I don't do consumer brands, I don't do launch events, we do science and technology related stuff right. mostly. But so that's how I got into the postgrad, and I loved it, I thoroughly loved it. After I'd gone and done some work for a year, I thought I'll do a master's. Yeah. And then, as it turned out, they were just offering the master's at that stage. Yeah. And it was one of those sad situations where you sign up for the papers that you want to do, yeah. and then they come back to you and say, like, Four of the seven papers you want to do, um, we've withdrawn them because there's one because, per- two because, people want because, to do them because we got seven people instead yeah. of nine, and yeah. you're kind of like, and then they're like, do these three, and I'm like, I don't want to do those papers, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it ended up being tricky, but um, yeah. I did get a chance to do some stuff with Wayne, and um, I remember that my um, my my the pricey for what I was going to do the reading paper in the first year yeah. was actually on the influence of. Um, sponsorship on sporting events, yeah, and and because the America's Cup was around that time, yeah. and it was say for example, you know, the need for sponsorship and the need to televise stuff was actually changing yachting, yeah, because you had to make it televisable, so they're making the races well, shorter, rugby, didn't closer it? to yeah. closer yeah. to shore, yeah. so you could film them yeah. and stuff, and then and then you know, and then likewise how how things like cigarette sponsorship would change yeah. things, and then you know, rugby obviously it changed it, but it was yeah. more about not so much about how it changed. It was. It actually changed the rules of yachting. Yeah, no, you know, it actually yeah, shortened yeah. the it's format. It's other sports. Yeah. I'm sure. It hasn't, has, um, hasn't it changed well, the breaks in football and stuff? And, well, and I'm, I'm out of my expertise. In Australian in rules, uh, in Australian rules, um, yeah. they have a thing when when someone scores a proper goal. I think they call. It, I can't remember what it's called. Um, they actually have a light in the stadium, which yeah. which is on, and it lets them know that the ad break's still going. And yeah. it starts counting down. Counting down that the air brake's getting ready to finish, and then the guy kicks off just when the light turns green, right. and it changes back from ads just as the guy's kicking <laughs> off. It's, 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 also, it's so well done, but you yeah. know, I mean, I, I'm a huge, I, I'm, I'm a sports fanatic, so I, I've, now, you know, I don't, I'm a, anyone from work listens, I don't want to lose the support of some of my colleagues, and I can tell you've got a well-rounded way to look at things in a sense of humour. Um, of all the majors, because you didn't do the degree, but there's different. The majors are journalism, TV, radio, um, digital media. This is these days, um, creative industries. Um, I feel like I'm missing one or two, and then PR. And um, PR is often joked about like it's the devil major yeah. of all of them. Um, and you can't sort of place – there was actually a suggestion at work recently that PR and journalism become a lot more um, linked as majors in both so sides. They, like, they end up but, changing fences right. often. So, a, lot, often. a lot of people end up working in both. Anyway, that's yeah. here or there. But um, it sounds like doing science and technology um, PR, unless, unless you're doing stuff like um, you know um, telling people it's, uh, no, that this brand of cigarettes is okay, it sounds like you're doing quite ethical PR. Well, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I – Or are you? Or are you? The gentleman I work for – the gentleman I work for is um, – he was a president of the Public Relations Institute for some time, Tim Marshall, yeah. and um, he he and I have over you know over a long period of time, like 13, 14 years, we always chat about the the, the ethics and PR, and you know we're well aware that you know you, you speak to some people they're like paid liars or, or you know because people see 
the bad side of PR generally. Well, that's right. In, in terms of the, in terms of yeah, the shilling yeah, and, yeah, the, yeah. and the cigarette company and stuff. But what people don't realise, a lot of people, I'm not, not trying to patronise people, but a lot of people don't realise that there's, you know, that's only one-tenth of it. The totally. other nine-tenths are people doing good And you good know I was winding stuff, you up and I'm which, not oh, that totally, which yeah, is yeah, supporting yeah, marketing. Yeah, and um, yeah. we, I mean, I've always had in my mind, I mean, I think, like I think I've always done it, that I would never do any any. Any Anything stu- you thought any, was any stuff that had even even significant political ramica- ramifications yeah, yeah. one way or the other. Yeah. It's just not what I want to get into. What if it was At, your political beliefs? Um, well, that would be totally different. Yeah, because <laughs> that would be me yeah. away from my career. But but yeah, absolutely. no, no. I mean, would you would you wouldn't work in PR for a party that you support? No. Right, that's no, what that's what I mean. No, no, but but that said, I mean, you know, as I say, someone comes to you with a checkbox. Sometimes you go, "Hey, um, yeah, I, you you find a new version of the ethics to uh, justify it to yourself." It's such a, it's such a. After everything yeah. else we just talked about in this whole kind of media riff, education riff, at the end, it's such an interesting area because yeah. because messages are because humans have got better at this shit. So everything is just so highly manipulated. Oh now, yeah, and, you know, and, and people for better. Are, and for worse. Absolutely. absolutely. You know? And, um, you know, I mean, I am constantly in awe of stuff that I see in politics because, you know, it's, it's, and when I talk about politics, I mean, I look at, say, people like David Seymour and I look at people like Winston Peters and people yeah. like um, Peter Dunn who are coming from different areas. Yeah. And I look at them and I, and I appreciate what they're doing well f- just for what they're doing well, N- not looking at it and going, I support what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, and, um, say, for example, I. Uh, um, uh, Materia Turia um, doing this really, really well-crafted PR thing about uh, admitting that she had committed effectively benefit yeah. fraud in the early 90s. And, you know, my, my mind is not looking at it from the point of view of saying, do I support her or do I vilify her or do I think yeah. it's bad or good or should she pay the money back or whatever. I think of it from the point of view is that how did they sit down and formulate yeah, well, this <laughs> from, from, from a strategic point of view? And s- sometimes you find out they didn't do it strategically. It was just luck. And sometimes you find out that it was really, really well crafted, and I, I think that was a brilliant piece of PR because the people who are, who, who, who you know, throwing barbs at her, they were never going to support the Greens anyway. No, and okay. so, 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 so they're shoring up their base. But then, on, on, the, on, if you look at the other end of the spectrum, it's Winston Peters, who, for three years of an election cycle. Seems kind of like every time round, it's like, man, he's he's gone off the edge now. This guy's yeah, too, he's too, too old for it. He's amazing. And then and then he manages in the last <laughs> yeah. nine months to just yeah. shore his messages up, yeah. make a couple of key messages. He he believes in the explaining yeah. his losing mantra. Believe and, he, and he just nails it. And and everyone, all the other political parties, must just be going bollocks. Him, believe, him, believe, him believe, again? Yeah, believe, him believe, again? believe you me. For me, it's not necessarily PR, but obviously, I think that's exactly how I. Well, it's I, just I, from I, the communication I, point right, of view. I, de- sorry, I, yeah, yeah. I deconstruct stuff and as the strategy. Well. Yeah, um, but I, I was just saying that the other day to someone. Else, I was like, "Winnie, eh?" I was like, "He's getting, he's getting a lot of free screen time compared oh, to everyone else, and that's that's really masterful. Get yeah. that that free that free screen time. Yeah. whatever you're saying up to an election." You know that's why that's why he does what he does. And this isn't is this is the thing is that, and I'm not not at all suggesting that he was anything like um, Donald Trump. But Donald Trump was good at as good at saying getting screen time was short sound bites. Yeah. Even if even if some people are going to knock you for it, is actually better than not having it or making or making a message too complicated that people won't get it. I think one would be more fun to hang out with than Donald. Oh yes. Um, do you know what PR's greatest act of PR ever was? Uh, act of PR was uh, um, Christianity. No, changing the name from propaganda to PR. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, see, the thing is, prop- <laughs> I, I was sort of propaganda. As, I mean, I, 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 get I don't know. Pro- pro- propaganda know. was yeah. more about hoodwinking people. Yeah, 
public relations was more about building relationships. Oh, listen to this PR guy. Yeah, yeah. no, no, but, but that's kind of how, how I looked at it, is that, is that I treat, um, you know, when I tr- speak to people about getting DJ gigs and, you yeah. know, and, and the, the, the avenues I go through to do it, you know, doing mixes and stuff, that's PR for my DJ. Yeah. And, um, and likewise, when I... Well, we're, when we're, I, all, we're all engaged in PR. When well, yeah, 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 when, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's basically, as I said, some, it's, some it's managing, relation, managing relationships yeah. with parties yeah. and publics, yeah. plural, which have some impact on the situation. So, you know, when I lined up in the local alcohol policy, when I started getting involved, I lined up all of the councillors yeah. at Auckland Council, all of them, and then I looked at if they'd even made comments about it before, put it into a spreadsheet, started yeah. looking, and then I... Found a few people who found man. out a few people who looked like they were quite good guys, like Chris Darby, you know, yeah. who were like good guys who were approachable. Met them, met up with them, chatted yeah. to them, open minded, open minded, yeah. and and they um and they were really nice in terms of sitting there chatting to them. Gave me good education on how to chat with the next one, yeah. and the next one, and the next one, and then you know, and so it, for me it was a big learning process, and I tried to make it as diligent as possible. I kept. You know, I kept a spreadsheet which was a log of all the contact I had with people, yeah. and then if I said I'd do something, highlighted and read, and if I did it, and make it green, and you know, and this this spreadsheet is massive now over four years. But I was just because you can't remember all the stuff otherwise, chatting to people, and um, this... I, I can I consider those acts to be public relations for this course yeah. or communications for this course, even though if you explained it to most people, they'd say that's not public relations. So, but, so, so incidentally, you've very, you've very skillfully um, come, brought, brought the podcast full circle for full the end, circle, coming yeah. back to the, yeah, yeah. To, the, uh, the, to the initial reason we decided to have a chat. Um, I know this isn't why you did it, but I hope, you know, I hope um, someone at a venue along the way buys you a beer or says thanks and, you know, it's a great, it's a great thing you've done kind of off your own back. Um, do you Thank think you. just in closing that it'll, this will lead to you kind of doing anything different career-wise? Or it sounds like you're almost going to do law late in life now. Um, Goodness. No, um, no, I do think um, I have already have some plans um, that I think um, we need to have a nighttime commission or a night czar or a nightmare yeah. type of scenario in Auckland so that there is an understanding in the council that the nightlife is important, that, that, you, you, uh, that, you need that youth culture. A- agitating. And yeah. especially from, and it's not just from a nightlife point of view, business point of view, it's that youth need some reason to, to do stuff on the weekends. Yep. They need safe places to do it. Yep. We're better off having, you know, in, in, in concert with education and better parenting yep. or whatever over long term. We, we need to have these places where people can go. And that also... And then, then also that in, person would be re- reporting from the front line as to actually going on exactly because it's you know? their job hey we're going to stop or we'll go another 10 minutes yeah but um i did tell you i did say oh i don't know if i can talk for 80 minutes i said you wait and see as soon as you start once thanks, you get talking thanks for coming in rob thank you been man. a pleasure